Well, guys, we are in a brand new series starting today called, you saw the video, called Abraham. And I want to let you know why we're doing this, because usually as a church, we try to stay somewhat like 12 to maybe 18 months ahead and just knowing what kind of series, where we're going next, what book of the Bible we're going to be dealing with. And as of like four or five months ago, this was not our plan to talk about what we're going to talk about today. Um, to, to, to go, and I want you to know that just because I want you to know as a church, we're trying to be uh, faithful. We're trying to be flexible. Um, we're trying to, we're trying to say, okay, Lord, what are you fil- be filled with faith? Say, Lord, what are you doing? And we just felt like initially we were planning on doing a series on the book of Acts and I was going to pick up where I left off, which was right around chapter nine and do this whole series. And we just decided that's not the best thing for us in this season where we're asking what's next. I mean, our first service today, uh, a nine o'clock service was the most, just so you know, cause we're one church, but across four services, our, our nine o'clock service was the most full service we've ever had in the history of this church. Not only was this room completely packed, this has never happened before, but the lobby was completely packed. And so we're just asking the question, what is next for us? And, we, and I said this before, I think every family, I think every individual, I think every couple needs, for, for their good, they need another hill to climb, by God's grace, they need a, a nether rock to move, they need another target to aim at, they need to continually be asking what's next, and we don't know. I wish I, I, wish I had some big announcement for you today about what's next for us. I don't yet, but the reason we're going to be in the series of Abraham is because the, when the book of Hebrews, this is really interesting. You got to look this up with your community group um, at some point. And by the way, if you're not in a community group, you're not going to be able to get out of every, you're not going to be able to get out of this series everything you could otherwise, because it's in the community groups where we work all this out. Okay, but but um, if you'll go to Hebrews chapter eleven, not now, but when you read it, it, Abraham is described there as he went out not knowing where he was going. That's literally what it says. And if you, what we're going to read today, and some of you know it. What we're going to read about Abraham today, it's like, God's like, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he's like, how? I'm like, not going to tell you yet. Where? I'll show you. When? I'm not going to give you the timeline. It's like, as Americans, we hate all of those things, right? <laughs> tell me when, tell me how, you know, I don't want to marinate this. I want to microwave it. I want to know as quickly as possible. And so we're going to be spending from now through Christmas looking at Genesis chapter 12 and moving forward through Genesis of this great man named Abraham. So you can type to or turn to Genesis chapter 12. And as you're doing that, let me just tell you that um, why we're looking at Abraham, one, he just appears in the text, is he is one of the most famous people ever to live. I say that because Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all look to him as the father of their faith. And, and we're going to see from Abraham that he was a very normal guy. He was a very sinful guy. He was a very ordinary guy. He was a very average guy. In fact, one of the reasons that, you, that we have stories like this is so we can read them and go, okay, if God can use people like this, maybe God can use me. In fact, uh, you know, uh, a couple years ago, some of you were here for this, we preached through Genesis uh, chapters 1 through 11. And whenever you preach through the Bible, it, it, it um, deconstructs some of the things that maybe you would naturally think about in the Bible. Like I think a lot of Americans, maybe even a lot of Christians, they think about the Bible as it's a bunch of stories about good religious moral people and how we need to be good religious moral people as well. That's, I think, what people think it's about. But if you read Genesis 1 through 11, it's terrible. The, the, the men and women in there are terrible. I mean, Adam and Eve, it's the third chapter. They break the only command God gives them. And then they blame each other, they blame the devil, they hide from each other, they try and hide from God, the same things you and I do when we sin. They get kicked out of the garden, then they have these two sons, they're like, all right, well, maybe that'll be, turn out well, Cain and Abel, but then Cain becomes bitter and resentful and revengeful towards Abel, he kills Abel, then he lies to God about that, God has to call him out on that. And, that, and that's only chapter four in the Bible, okay? 
And then in chapters 5 through 8 is Noah and the flood, and the world gets so bad that entire cities and civilizations can get that bad that God destroys the whole world except for Noah and his family. And then people read that story and go, isn't Noah such a great guy? No, Noah gets drunk in chapter 9. That never shows up in any of the Sunday school <laughs> material. That never is taught to the, to the kids. Here's Uncle Noah, and here's what he did when he got off the ark. You know? um, and, then, and, then, uh, and then in chapters 10 and 11, you have the Tower of Babel. And it's, it's okay, God, you know, there's God, God, um, mankind is trying to build a tower to get to God, to make a name for themselves. And then it says that God has to come down, kind of a play on words there, God has to come down, look at it. And, um, and, then, and then all of that happens, and then in chapter 12, where we're heading today, just that's a brief summary of 1 through 11, it moves from events to people, and that's really important. So the first 11 chapters are more about events, the last 40 chapters are more about people, because people are God's mission, people are God's priority, uh, people's what God's passionate about. And so in the last 40 chapters, it only talks about really four people. Now, their families are connected, but it's Abraham, it's Isaac, it's Jacob, and it's Joseph. And we're going to spend the majority of the next six weeks just looking at the life of Abraham. So with all that said, let's finally dive in to Genesis chapter 12. Look with me at verses 1 through 3. And we're going to try to cover all of Genesis 12 this afternoon. Here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, and by the way, he's going to go by Abram, he's going to go by Abraham. Um, Abram means dad um, or, or father. Uh, Abraham means father of many. And so I, I'm just going to call him Abraham probably most of the time. Otherwise, I'm going to get confused. His wife's name is Sarai, and then her name gets changed to Sarah. Big, big idea there is God's influence and impact on our life is so profound, it changes even the most fundamental things about us, including our name. And so here's what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, go. And that's a really important, if you underline words in your Bible, you may want to underline this. This is, the, this is the great commission in the Old Testament. The great commission in the New Testament, we all know that, Matthew 28. This is the great commission in the Old Testament, and it starts with the word go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's why it's going without knowing, right? And I will make... Of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. See, it's interesting. Genesis 11, the men and the women of that city are trying to make their name great. And this is in comparison. God says, no, 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 you can't make your name great. I'm going to make your name great. And then he says this, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God always blesses us to be a blessing to other people. It's not about us ultimately. It's about having a vision for other people. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so what was, what was Abraham doing before he got this call? I told you earlier he was an ordinary guy. If you read, we won't go back, if you read Genesis chapter 11, he's living in Haran, and he's living with his dad, and, and later in Joshua chapter 22, I believe it is, or 24, one of those chapters, Joshua looks back on Abram and tells us that he was an idol worshiper before God called him. Most people believe that before God called Abraham, I just want to give you a, an idea of who this guy is. Before God called Abraham, he was most likely worshiping the moon. That's what, that's what, that's what, that's what people believe he was doing. And so he's an ordinary guy, and, and honestly, here's what he is. He's, he's a brand new uncle. Because it says in, in Genesis chapter 11 that his brother dies, and so we're going to see this guy Lot show up in a little bit. And whenever you see Lot, here's what you need to think, a lot of trouble, okay? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to him more next week, but he is a lot of trouble. But, um, but you know, you got to say something. He, uncle, uncle Abe, let's call him Uncle Abe. Uncle Abe is a great uncle. He's got Lot. He's taking care of him. Uh, we're going to find out that he's going through some suffering in his life. 
he can't have kids, and he's getting older in life. And when you're in that society, your kids were everything. They were your future plan. They were your retirement plan. They were to help with the business. They, they were really everything. And so he, things are not necessarily going well for Abraham, and then God calls him. And here's what this, this whole idea of this whole series, and, and why I'm excited about it for us as a church, is it's really about faith. What we're going to see, he's in many ways called the father of faith. What we're going to see with Abraham is, is he's an example of faith, though failingly, right? But he is an example of faith. Now, here's what faith is not. Faith is not um, vague optimism that things will go well. That's how people use it today. Faith is not um, turning your brain off and saying something like, just take a leap of faith. Don't think about it. Just blindly trust. That's not what it is. Now, let me give you a couple definitions, and probably through this series, I'm going to give you like and I'll try to make them simple, and I'll try not to say too many of them, but I'll probably give you like five to ten definitions of faith that are hopefully short and simple, and maybe you can grab one of them and go, that's going to be for me, that's going to be for my family, that's going to be for my community group. But let me, let me tell you a couple things about faith. Faith is the eyesight of the soul. That's what it is. Uh, and in fact, what Paul says in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Well, he's praying for the faith. Faith is the eyesight of the soul, or here's another way to say it. It's the ability to see the invisible world according to God's written down word. I know I said that quickly. But that's what faith is. Faith is the ability to see the invisible world according to God's written down word. So, you know, you read the Bible and you're like, I believe in heaven and hell. I, I can't see them with my physical eyes, but I can see them with the eyes of my heart. I believe that there are lost people. I believe in the sin and, and salvation. I believe in heaven and in hell. I believe in the devil and in angels. And I believe in all of those things. But let me tell you, real, real practically, the definition we're primarily going to use in this series, and I'm excited for us, is, is here's what faith means. And, and I think I love this. It means taking God at his word and taking our next step. That's what it means. And, and I love that because that's what faith means. We're going to see that what Abraham's going to do, though failing, failingly, and you will do this failingly, and I will do this failingly, but what they do, what Abraham does is he takes God at his word in any area of life, and then he takes his next step. And here's what I love about that. That has literally no limit for your life. You can never be done doing that. It's like, well, just take an area of your life, any area of your life. Take, take your marriage, those of us who are married. Okay, well, what does God say in his word about marriage? Well, just start looking at it. There's a lot of things, but take Ephesians chapter five. And then go, okay, I'm gonna take God at his word and then I'm gonna take my next step. And it's like, well, that's very, very hard and that's why most people don't do it. And I'm gonna believe in that, okay? And so, so this is what faith is. And, and one major component of faith is, I said this earlier, but going without knowing, or here's another way to say it, leaving the unknown, or sorry, leaving the known for the unknown. That's another way to think about faith. So this is the whole thing that, you know, I'm going to show you the land, you're not going to know what it is, and it's really a call to adventure. And then I love this. I don't know how Christian, I don't know how as Christians, and I fall into this, those of us who in this room would call ourselves Christians, how Christianity got defined as the things we don't do. Like being a Christian, we're known for what we don't do, right? I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang with those who do, right? You've heard that before. Some, some version of that, right? And somehow, and it's great because there are things in Scripture that say, hey, this is sinful, you need to repent of that. But somehow, Christians have gotten known for the things we don't do, the places we don't go, the things we don't say, the people we don't hang out with. And what you see with, with Abraham is it's much more about engagement, and so here's that whole, the whole idea is what it means to live by faith is to take God's word and to leave what is known and what is comfortable and what is convenient in your life and to step out into the unknown. Now, why don't many of us do this? This is, by the way, just a great question to ask when you're studying the Bible. It's like, okay, well, the Bible tells us to do this. Why don't we do this? And it's like, well, because the known is a lot more comfortable for us, right? Like I was trying to think of my life. I'm like, well, okay, I can think about um, 
my relationship with my neighbors in my neighborhood. It's like, well, I know what that relationship's like. It's okay. It's kind of shallow. It's, we're nice to each other. We talk to each other. We're not, I know their names. They know my name. They like my kids. But it's known. And I'm like, well, what would it, what would it look like if I actually stepped out and reached out to my neighbors? Well, I don't know. What, if you think about that for your neighborhood or think about your coworkers or your classmates or whatever, here's what happens to me. I start thinking about what I think will happen. Like I start thinking about how I think they're going to respond. It's like, I have no idea. I really don't. And you have no idea. There is, I don't mean this disrespectfully, there is so little that you know, that any of us know. It's unbelievable how little we know and how much we don't know. And what faith is like is I, I want to leave what is safe and what is known for the unknown. Now, again, we don't do this because we're afraid of risking, but what we don't ever think about is the risk and the sacrifice of doing nothing. Because we've already kind of counted that in, but like think about the person, I'll give you another example. Let's try to think this out with us. Uh, another example would be like, think of somebody who hates their job. It's like, well, why don't they get another job? Well, I'll tell you why, because they don't want to put a CVC together, and they don't want to send out 50 resumes to get three responses, and they don't want to work on their interviewing skills, and they don't want to have to potentially move, they don't want to have to network, and they don't have to build new relationships, and so of course they don't do it. But what happens if you stay in a job that you absolutely hate for five years? I'll tell you what happens, because I've seen it a hundred times. You become a worse version of yourself. You'll be just like you, except the worst parts of you will be inflated, and the best parts of you will be deflated. And then five years from now, you're old. <laughs> and you're an old person in the same job, unless people want to hire you. And it's going to be harder to do your skill sets. I know this is hard truth here. And so it's this call to leave. It's this call to go. It's this call of excitement. And what does God give us? He gives us two things. Look at verses one through three. He gives us commands and he gives us promises. It's like, all right, there's going to be this massive journey of faith that I want you to take in your life. And I want you to follow God's word. And I want you to listen to what God says. And I'm going to give you two things. I'm going to give you commands and I'm going to give you promises. By the way, if you read the Bible, that's basically the two categories you're going to run into. Almost, there may be some exceptions, not that I can think of right now. But if you read the Bible, you can literally ask this question, is this a command or is this a promise? And you need both, right? If you only have commands, it's just like, this is what I have to do and this is what I need to do. It turns into religion. It turns into legalism. If you just have promises, it turns into cheap grace, it turns into sinful living, it turns into license. And so what God gives them is, this is interesting, he gives him three commands, and he gives him six promises, more promises than commands. The gospel itself is command and promise. Repent, that's command. Believe, that's promise. And so he begins to give him these three commands. Look what the three commands are. First, he says, I need you to leave your father's house. This is interesting. Abraham is 75 years old, and he's still living with his dad. Failure to launch, okay? <laughs> this is the ultimate failure to launch story. Um, and it's interesting because they basically say, you know, the, how do you know if you've grown up? This is an interesting thought that, experiment real quickly. You know, like, because people, how do you know if you've grown up? Well, people, some people think, well, because I went to college, I've grown up, or because I went through puberty, I've grown up, or I don't know, because I got married, I grew up, or because I had a kid, I grew up. That actually, the way that you know you've grown up is that you realize that your dad doesn't have all the answers, like, I, I've actually, I, was actually tell, I actually told someone that time, and, and the person said back to me, I know, exa I know exactly when that happened. And let me explain this to you. Like, it doesn't mean that you don't think your dad's not a great guy. But it's like, hey, dad's a great guy, but dad doesn't know everything. And therefore, I've got to grow up, and I don't know everything either. Like, this is why, I'll give you the other side of things. People don't grow up when they think their dad still knows all the answers. Like, you know, if someone's saying, does my, does my dad still think my wife's good looking? Does my dad think I make enough money? Does my dad like my house? It's like that person hasn't grown up. 
And so he's saying, I need, you to, I need you to get out of your dad's house. And then he says, I need you to get out of your country. I need you to get out of your culture, out of your value systems. Now, this is interesting because it made me think of, and many of you have heard about this, but you know, Kanye West, and who knows if it's true, but Kanye West says he became a Christian. I hope it's true. For, you know, time will tell if you don't know who Kanye West is. Uh, he's a you know, famous, uh, famous rapper. But he, he, was on, he was on Jimmy Kimmel this last week. And maybe it was two weeks ago. And Jimmy Kimmel says to them, so are you now a Christian rapper? And Kanye West gives the best answer I've ever heard. I'm like, this is so smart, I wish I thought of this. He said, um, he said actually now I'm a Christian everything. And I thought, that is so deep. <laughs> that is, I mean, that, that's exactly what it means to have your value systems completely transformed and changed. He says, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian everything. In fact, then I watched another interview. I kind of got caught in YouTube watching all these interviews. <laughs> That's happened to you too. I know it has. So I watched this other interview. And on this other interview, the, the guy says to him, there's no way that you're like, there's no way that you could be completely living for yourself. And then now you're completely living for God. And he said, have you ever been asleep? And the guy says, yeah. He goes, would you say that's a state of being? He goes, oh yeah, yeah. He says, have you ever been awake? He says, yeah. He said, would you say that's a completely different state of being? He goes, yeah. He goes, I was asleep and now I'm awake. And I was like, that is so good. I've got to work this into my next sermon somehow. <laughs> I did have that thought, now I just put it in here. Um, but, so, but it's like a completely different value system. Completely different value system. And then he says, and then you need to get your new kindred, and that's your relationships, right? And it's like, you know, your closest friends need to be Christian friends. They certainly don't need to be your only friends. You know, we talk about, we want people in our life who are far from God close to us. But he says, you're going to need new relationships. And then he gives them a bunch of promises. I won't go through them all. But if you read the promises, he says, I will show you. Uh, another big promise is he says, um, I will be with you. Just so you know, that's the most common, um, most repeated promise in the Bible is I will be with you. So the most repeated command in the Bible, I don't know if you guys know what it is, do not fear. And, all, and if you, you'll often find the command, do not fear and I will be with you in some form or fashion next to each other. Uh, and so, so he, gives, he begins to give all of these promises to him in verses, um, in verses one through three. And then he begins to say that he's going to have a local, national, and global impact. So he says, I'll bless you. You're going to turn into a great nation. All the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And you go, is it possible for one person to have an influence locally, nationally, and globally? And I would say yes. And we particularly see this. Anytime somebody connects to the local church, prays and gives, they end up being a part of both local, national, and global ministry. And he says, God wants to do something not just in you, but then he says he's going to do something beyond you. And I can remember, and I've told you guys some stories about my time at Duke. When I was at Duke, not a, couldn't get in there, not as a student doing ministry there. Um, when I was doing ministry at Duke, though, um, it, you know, uh, it was, it's hard for me to still say this out loud, but it was so discouraging at times because I was there for four years, and, and to my memory, I saw one person baptized. And I started a lot of Bible studies that after four weeks, the guys didn't want to meet anymore, and they liked me, but they didn't want to talk about spiritual things, and there were, guy, I mean, there were guys on campus that would, I saw a couple times guys, when they saw me, turn around and go the other direction. That, you know, that's not great. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make you feel great inside. Um, and so you'd see that kind of stuff, and you'd start feeling, you know, anyway, it just messes with you some. And, and, uh, and I remember talking to one of my mentors, and one of my mentors said, you know, God's always doing something in you. You know, he's challenging you, he's changing you, and he says, God's always doing something, you know, through you, God is using you. And then he said, God's always doing something beyond you. And, and you don't know necessarily what God's gonna do this with, and I say this to all of us, with, with the seeds that we're planting in our kids' lives, with the ways we're trying to water, with the ways we're trying to cultivate. And so this is a great, he's giving Abraham all of these promises as he steps out. 
And then Abraham steps out in verse 4. If you'll go to verse 4, here's what it says. So Abraham went. I love this. We have, we have a lot of young married couples in our church. Abraham and Sarah obey God before they have kids, and it ends up being a blessing to their children. Isn't that awesome? It won't be for years that they're going to have kids or kid. But they they make the decision as a couple before they have kids to make God a priority and to do what he says. So it says this, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, not delayed obedience, but immediate obedience. And Lot went with him. We'll talk more about Lot next week. And and here's what I love. Uh, Abraham obeys even though he could have a lot of excuses. And I think what hinders you, what hinders me from taking our next step of faith is all of the excuses that we have to stay comfortable where we are. And you know this. They're right in the text. I'll show you. Abram was 75 years old. His age and stage of life. Right? How many of us do that? How many? And in fact, it says he's bringing a lot with him. So how many people would say, well, I really can't because I just became an uncle. I can't get serious about the Lord. I can't have a ministry. I can't, can't be a part of this. I can't get in a community group. Let me tell you why. Because I've got kids. It's like, well, then you're never going to get in a group. <laughs> right? Why, we're, we're pregnant. Oh, we have little kids. Well, our kids are in school. Well, our kids are playing sports. Well, our kids are in college, so we need to visit them all the time. Well, we've got grandbabies, so now that's the priority. It's like, okay, I know what you mean, so you never have time. And so you see there's an age and stage thing. And see, here's what happens. Um, it says he's 75 years old. He'll live to be 175, so kind of biblical, early in biblical times, they live longer. And so what you see is he's about halfway through his life. And here's what's interesting, and I've been told this by people who are older. They say, you will spend half your life feeling like you're too young and the other half of your life feeling like you're too old. And basically, you've got to just realize, now, I want to, I want to do what God's called me to do. I want to take the next step forward because because the truth is, like, you're the right age for, like, one day, right? And then you're like, I missed it. Okay, now I'm too old, you know? That, that's what it feels like, right? I mean, I, can't, I remember, I got up here. I remember the first Sunday I preached uh, at this service when we launched it three years, three and a half years ago. And it wasn't the first time I'd, I'd ever preached to not just college students, but I hadn't done that a ton. And so I got up here and I was like, there are people with gray hair in here, you know? And I just, I felt so young because I used to be able to say things. I used to go out to call, these college meetings and I used to be like, huh, one day you guys will be married. I'm like, no way. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, one day you're going to graduate college and you're going to have to get an apartment. They're like, no, I don't, yeah, you know? And, and, and now I'm looking at them like, all these people are older than me and older than my parents, you know? Um, so I had to get used to it. I had to get used to being young and being a pastor. Um, so they have excuses. Let's continue on. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abraham took Sarai. Now we're going to find out later that she's barren, that she's infertile. So that could have been a whole other excuse. Well, I've got a wife, and she's kind of depressed because she's dealing with infertility, and it's going to be very difficult to explain it to her, and she's probably, she, we've lived here our whole lives, and, but none of these excuses happen. Abraham was 75 years old, and Abraham, verse 5, and Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all of their possessions... Now, this is interesting. Sometimes people make excuses because they have too little. Sometimes people have excuses because they have too much. Well, I can't do this, not with all we own, not with our second home, you know, not with our boat. Not with all the extra stuff that I have. It just wouldn't be the right time. I've got too many things. And here he does. He begins to take these possessions with him. And all their possessions they had gathered and the people that they had acquired inherent, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the place, to, sorry, passed passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were living in the land. 
So what are other excuses that people use today? I mean, people use so many different excuses, right? We, we blame our parents. We, br- we blame our education. Uh, we blame our genetics. Uh, we, we blame our jobs. We blame, it's, it's as old as Adam and Eve. Literally the first things that Adam and Eve do are blame other people. Adam blames Eve, right? And that's very common. Men blame their wives. Yeah, that's why I, I do what I do. You know, she's the reason that I can't lead this family. And then women, they, they tend to get very spiritual. They blame Satan, okay? <laughs> Eve ends up blaming Satan. Neither of them, what's, what's, what are they both not doing? They're both not taking responsibility. See, the way that you grow as a Christian, begin to take, begin to mature, is that you just, you stop having excuses. And you're just really, really honest. You're just like, this is actually, it's, you know, it's actually not a priority in my life. <laughs> I actually don't value that. And then it's like, okay, well, why don't you value that? Now we can have a real conversation versus you just telling me that you're busy when you're not or making excuses when you're not. And so they begin to make excuses. But we see a sign, or they don't make excuses here. We could make excuses. But then we see a sign of health. Now here's another interesting thing that Abraham does. Um, Abraham accepts God's substitutes while he waits for God's promises. Let me explain that. Well, here's what I mean by that. Abraham is a great uncle while he's waiting to be a dad. That's one of the interesting things in the story. Abraham takes, we're gonna see it in chapters 13, chapters 14, he's like a stellar uncle. He's gonna take Lot with him, he's gonna get Lot some money, he's going to help Lot get into another situation, he's going to rescue Lot. He's looking out for Lot all the time. It's like that, that's actually a sign of health. When you don't have everything that you want in your life or everything that you think that God promised you, and you're not bitter about it, but instead you accept the substitutes God's maybe temporarily or permanently given you. So it's like, well, you know, you're single and you don't wanna be single. It's like, well, what do you do? Well, you build significant relationships with people. You, um, you lear- learn how to relate properly to the opposite sex. Well, what do you do as you're, if you struggle with infertility? It's like, well, you love the children that God's given in your life. You don't become bitter and resentful. You, you, are you an aunt? Are you an uncle? Can you love the people that God's placed in your life and accept the, the substitutes God's given you while you wait for what God has for you next? And so he begins to move forward, and then verse... Seven says this, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, to your offspring, I will give this land. God reaffirms his promise. He's going to speak to Abram seven times. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Now, this is interesting. One thing that you see Abraham constantly have as signs of faith are the tent and the altar, the tent and the altar, the tent and the altar. The tent says, uh, we talked about this in first Peter. The tent says, I'm a sojourner. I'm a stranger. I'm passing through with purpose. This is a temporary place, not my final home. But then he also has the altar with Bethel on the west and Aya on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Now, this is interesting. So he has a tent. He has an altar. Uh, That he goes every place where he is, he makes it a place of worship. You know, it is important to come to a place of worship like this. This is special. We do this on Sundays. We gather the whole church together. But then you don't always have to just go to a place of worship. You can make every place a place of worship. Your car, your cubicle, your kitchen. And that's what we see. He, he turns these ordinary places into spaces of worship. But then, and this is what I love about the honesty of the Bible. The first nine verses are all about how awesome Abraham does. He trusts God, he believes, he doesn't have delayed obedience, he does it right away, he, he takes his nephew, he grabs his wife, but the second half of the chapter is about his disobedience, about his failure, about his foolishness, about his falsehood. And I want you to see all of this. 
Uh, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So he's in the promised land, but things are not going easy. The promised land, by the way, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, represents, don't think heaven, think life with God now. And it's a great reminder that just because God calls you, it's not going to be easy, right? It's like in some of you, and I struggle with the same thing, but some of you are way too easily discouraged. It's like you try to have one conversation, and it's like they don't want to have it, you're done. You get one email about something, and you shut down completely. You've got to learn how to not be so easily discouraged, The definition of faith is an ability to move forward even when I face discouragement. The measure of a man, the measure of a woman is what it takes to discourage them. And here it says, now look, this is a pretty big deal. He faces a famine. It says this, now there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down. When the Bible says went down, that's not a good thing. So here's what happened, and this is what happens in your life, and this is what happens in my life. We experience a spiritual famine, and we run to the world. That's exactly what Abraham does. He went down to Egypt. Egypt in in Genesis and Exodus represents the world and its value systems. So, I mean, this is why you've got the Bible just, it's not that we read the Bible, it's like the Bible reads us. This is exactly what, what happens. You get spiritually discouraged, I get spiritually discouraged, and our temptation is to run to find comfort in the world. Am I right? It says this, to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, what can a spiritual famine be? It can be anything. I gave you a couple of examples. It could be a horrible thing that happens in your life. It could be discouraging and depressing circumstances that have happened in your life. But what happens, what you need to understand is, here's what you need to know. Where are you going to go when terrible things happen to you or when you're tempted? Because you have two options. You can create healthy escapes or you can create unhealthy escapes. You can create healthy places you're going to go and healthy people you're going to go to, or you can create unhealthy people you're going to go to, right? That's the difference, right? Like what you see, here's the history of, of, of Christians who don't make it. They burn out or they blow up. Right? Burnout is I have no healthy escapes, so I keep going. I don't understand rest. I don't understand Sabbath. I don't understand planning. I don't understand sleep. And so I end up burning out. That's one. You know, and we tend to be more gracious toward those people. But, but then there's the other people who blow up. They're like, here, you know, my, my unhealthy escape is going to be looking at pornography. My unhealthy escape is going to be drinking too much. There's things that are in the, my unhealthy escape is going to be just, you know, I'm only going to watch one season of, of television tonight. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I'm just, I'm just going to escape for some people. I was just with a group of pastors um, all, from all over the country. And one of the pastors, he came in, he said, I've lost 65 pounds. Really an amazing story. And he said, I just realized I just ate all my feelings all the time. Every time something was going wrong in the church, I, was just, I just went and ate. And it's like, well, that's not a, that's not a healthy escape. And he had, to, he had to get help. He had to lose a lot of weight. He had to, because these are unhealthy escapes. So you have to, if you don't create healthy escapes in your life, working out, prayer, running, walking, whatever, healthy relationships, then you're going to create unhealthy escapes. And then it get, but it gets worse. <clears throat> when he goes down to Egypt, watch what happens. Verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, and we are, we are to be in some sense, shocked by this, but maybe comforted because we realize that we're just like Abraham. By the way, if I can just stop for a second, what he does here is God made him two promises. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you lineage. 
Um, I'm going to give you a place and I'm going to give you a people. And what we see is within nine verses of the promise, he leaves the land. And every Jewish person reading this who knows this story would go, why are you doing that? Like you're leaving the place that God told you. But now we're going to see the second thing. God promised him a lineage, a legacy, a people, a son. And watch what he's going to about to do with his wife. It says this, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, this is great Abraham, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me. So here's what happens. When you stop having faith, you're, you, stop, you have no ability to sacrifice and you're only selfish. And, in, and what we see is great Abraham is only concerned with himself, actually to the point where he's willing to sacrifice his wife. Here's what it says here. Then they will kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you are my sister. Here's what happens. When you try to live in Egypt, when you try to live like the world, you end up lying a lot. And so he, he's lying. He's asking her to lie. He says, say that you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Verse 14. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And we're supposed to read this and be shocked. So here's Abraham. Father Abraham is giving his only wife to another man who will definitely sleep with her. And so you, you, you read this story and you go, well, doesn't he care for her? Doesn't he want to protect her? And has he completely forgot the promises of God? What if she gets pregnant by Pharaoh? <coughs> this whole story is, is, it's like so humbling. It's like, okay, um, you believed God for about nine verses and now you're trying to figure out and fix everything yourself. And, and, and it's like, okay, what, what we're seeing, I want you to see this. In verses one through nine, you see what faith is. In verses 10 through 21, or 10 through 20, you see what faith is not. And, and here's, here, I don't know how to say it any simpler, more simply than this. You are not living by faith when you're running away from where God has you and you're lying. It's like in so many of us, that can be our lives. It's like we know where God's called us, but we're running away because it's too difficult. And I don't want to change. I don't want to repent. So here's what I'll do. I'll just lie about it. By the way, the New Testament ethic is live so you don't have to lie. Live in such a way so that you don't have to lie. Because the reason you lie is because of the fun things you don't want to stop doing. That's, that's why people lie. That is why people lie. And so he, he's setting this up. And what we're going to see is he thinks, and this is what we all think. We think, well, well the reason you lie is because you think lying will work. At least you think it will work short term. And if you look at verse 16, it appears that it's working short term. So it's this, and for her sake, he dealt with, well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen and donkeys and male servants and female servants and female donkeys and camels. So it seems like it's amazing, you know? Pharaoh gives him money and stocks and, you know, a nice car and a nice house. And he's like, this is working out awesome for me. But here's what's actually happening. And this is interesting. And all the commentators recognize this. Everything that Abraham gets when he's in Egypt causes him trouble the rest of his life. 
So it's a, it's a very sophisticated lesson from Scripture. So I'll give you an example. Um, we will get there next week, but the first thing we see happening in chapter 13 is he and Lot are fighting and have to separate because they have too much stuff. You ever see families fight over money? This, that's what happens in, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 13. They fight because they have so much money they have to go separate ways that doesn't go well. And then if we get to chapter 16, guess what happens in chapter 16? Abraham sleeps with this girl named Hagar. Well, where do you think he gets her from? She's the female servant listed in this passage. So some people foolishly think, God's blessing me because my bank account's growing. Maybe not. Maybe you're being confirmed and affirmed in your worldliness. Maybe this is only going to be a stronger temptation in your life. And so he begins to lie, and the Lord steps in. Look at verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh. See, Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to the people. He ends up being a curse to them. Because if you're not walking with God, you can't be a great witness to other people. It says this, but the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And th there's so much irony in what happens next. So Pharaoh, who's an ungodly, non-believing pagan, who does not know God, who does not love God, who does not follow God, who does not have God's words or God's ways. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that you've done? This is like complete, like, I, I'm an unbeliever and I'm calling you out. I'm calling out the father of faith by an unbelieving pagan leader. What is this you have done? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is the ultimate call out. This is being, I don't know if you've ever been called out by a non-believer before for how you were not living up to the Christian faith. But I mean, the best example I could think of for, you know, for any of us would be if somebody came up to you and, and your neighbor came up to you and said, hey, you know, heard you go to church and why have you never told me about Christianity before? Hey, I was reading something or I saw something on YouTube. It said Christians are supposed to be generous and they're supposed to be inviting people and, and, and just welcoming and practice hospitality and you've never done that one time. Can you help me understand why you would say you're a Christian, but you don't have any of this in your life? It's like, well, you know, I could call you out on that, you know, from a sermon, but it's like, well, that's just Kyle, and that's his job, and he's a pastor, and he's reading the Bible, and he's got, but, but, you know, if, if a non-Christian calls you out, it's like, it feels completely different. I remember I, I had a situation like this with my dad. So I love my dad, I mean, he wouldn't mind me saying this, but my dad's not, you know, where I'd love him to be spiritually. And we, we have had so many conversations over the years, um, to the point where, you know, you just feel like, I don't know if you feel like this is some people, like, I don't know what else to say. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know when to bring it up. I only see him a couple times a year. Do I want to talk about this? So he's over at my house one night. This is a couple years ago. And it's late at night and we're up. It's just the two of us. And he says to me, imagine this. He says this. He's my dad. You know, he says, why have you stopped talking to me about spiritual things? And I'm in my heart. I'm like, I, you just, I'm like, uh. And then he says, have you given up on me? And it was, it was like a red letter day for me. And I, and I thank God that led to some conversations and it's led to a lot of conversations after that. But it was just one of those things where it's like the Lord took my dad who would be far from God but close to me. And, and again, it was, it was the whole I, I, known and unknown, right? I thought if I talk to my dad, he's not going to like it. it you know. Meanwhile, he's wondering why I haven't brought it up. This is why we never know how it's going to be. And, so, and what's so ironic is, is this, Genesis 12 is bookended by two goes. Right? The first go is, 
Basically, the first, the first time, God says, go, get out of here and get into the promised land. And then it ends with Pharaoh going, go, get out of here, get back into the promised land. <laughs> there, that, that's, it's like, book. it's so ironic how that works. And you, and you read these stories and, and you, know, you go, well, how can God, how can God be so gracious? Because by the way, the, the definition of the grace of God, and we see this in Abraham's life, we see this in your life, the, the definition of the grace of God is God knows every stupid and sinful thing that you're going to do and is going to use you anyway. God knows every stupid and every sinful thing that you have done that you will do, and he's going to use you anyway. And the story of Abraham is the story of your life, which is the story of a bunch of brand new beginnings and a bunch of, uh, well, the reason I have a memory is so I can be grateful for what God has done and repent of what I've done. That's why I have a memory. That's, you know, and so I'm going to do that. I'm going to move forward. And the reason that we can do this is because Abraham really points way beyond himself to Jesus Christ, the greater Abraham. Because think about this. What did Abraham do? Well, he left his father. So did Jesus. Well, he went to a new land. So did Jesus. Well, he created a new people. Well, so did Jesus. But instead of lying, Jesus always told the truth. Instead of sacrificing his bride, um, like, like Abraham did, he was sacrificed for his bride. And God said, because you did that, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make it the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every mouth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then he said that you're going to be a blessing to all nations so that actually Jesus Christ is the name by which any person can be saved if they believe and repent. And so what this should lead to in our life and what I hope the series leads to is for us to dream big dreams based on God's word. Let the size of your God determine the size of your dream. Two weeks ago, I was with a bunch of pastors, same group I mentioned, and, and there was a mentor pastor in there and he pastors a church called Mana Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Maybe some of you have heard of it. It's a large church there. And he's in his 60s and he, he's, he's passing on the church to his sons. And I said, well, what are you gonna do next? And he's 61 years old and he said, uh, well, you know, because I've been pastoring for 35 years in a military base, he says, I know the military, I love the military, um, I've got a heart for it. He said, so I've got a vision with the rest of my life, I want to plant a church next to every U.S. military base in the world. And he said that, and I, just, I didn't hear anything else for about two hours. And I just thought, this is a guy who's got a vision, he's in his 60s, but he's not done. And he actually said to me at one point, he goes, I'm, he said, I'm going to be watching it from heaven because it can't be completed in my lifetime. He said, I'm hoping my sons are going to complete it afterwards. But the, here's this guy in his 60s with a long-term vision that he wants to begin to see the beginning of the promises of that. And he knows he's actually going to die just like Abraham did, right? Abraham, at the end of his life, what does Abraham have? One little son. That's it. It's like, and actually, if you read Hebrews 11, <laughs> Hebrews 11 goes, yep, they all died not seeing everything happen. But they took their next step and they took God at his word and let's do the same. Pray with me. Lord, that's our prayer. <laughs> We want to take our next step, Lord. We thank you for the example of Abraham. He is going to be such an encouragement in this series. Because, I, 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 Lord, I thank you for his faithfulness. But I also thank you for the picture of his failure. And how you are a God of grace. That you are a God that renews and that restores people. Lord, I pray for us. If there's anyone in this room, and it's really going to be all of us, who, who we, we, we tend to turn to excuses it's our age, it's our financial situation, it's our stage of life, it's health issues, it's our, it's our job, and we, we just are unwilling to, to repent, to grow, to take our next step. Lord, I pray that you would change us, Lord, that, that we could be a blessing to other people. We ask this in your name. Amen.